Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail it's called Northland's Black Gold, an ancient treasure buried deep in the ground. That's the sound of a prized slab of wood being unearthed from a swamp where it has sat for tens of thousands of years. For this one, because of the size of it, we're probably looking at about 30 tonne all up, including the stump. It'll be too big to take out in one, so we'll cut, cut it at about four metres from the stump, pull the small section out, and then we'll come back and pull the, the stump section. But it's not just any wood. This is Swamp Cody, treasured by scientists because of what it says about climates past and future and by craftsmen for its beauty. It's been at the centre of court battles, accusations of illegal trading, a trade worth up to $200 million a year at its peak, and opponents say log miners are plundering a national treasure and destroying fragile ecosystems. There's been a crackdown on the rules of extracting and selling it. So why is it still being fought over in court. Swamp Cody sort of flew under, under the radar until the Bonanza started and around about 2012-2013, that's when I think I started reporting on it. Lois Williams is RNZ's Northland reporter. I mean, people have been sort of sounding the alarm about it and flagging this extraordinary new industry for a bit and then, then we started to get, to get the conservation groups that were upset about it and I think that's about the time I started re- um, reporting on it. Right. But but a couple of the, the early pioneers back in the 80s and 90s, there was the late Dave Stewart in the far north and in Awanui there and he founded the um, business called the Ancient Cody Kingdom and that became a, a very popular woodworking and... Uh, tourism attraction and there's Nelson Parker over in the Kaipara on the west coast and he got into it, I mean he'd he'd been a a champion axeman and and he was into woodworking Um, but he got into um, Swamp Cody in the 90s he was actually asked by a farmer if he'd like to come and dig this log out of his paddock because it was in the way so Mm. he went over and he dug it out for him and and the thing was about 22 metres long um, and he was quite um, quite amazed by this. Anyway, he sold it. He found an Auckland person to buy it, and it all started um, from there. And he was so um, impressed with the the quality of the wood um, and its properties that he just concentrated on Swamp Cody from that point. And he's still doing it, and he's got a very um, popular gallery at Kai Hu, north of Dargaville, where the tourist buses stop, and he makes all sorts of Cody products, and he's still exporting. The trade sort of grew slowly over the years. It was a slow-burning thing, and but gradually the rest of the world seemed to, in particular China, seemed to get to know about it. Um, around about 2011, I think, and the word spread that you could make good money from it. And it really started to take off, about 2010, 2011. So we started seeing these ads appearing on, on websites overseas like Alibaba and so on for, for swamp ancient Swamp Cody and uh, for quite quite enormous prices. And what do you think was the appeal? What what makes it so special? Well, it is a beautiful timber. It is beautiful. It has wonderful grain in it. And I think for the Chinese in particular, they value age. They value venerable things. And it is a, a totally old, ancient, venerable timber. I mean, some of it's been in the ground for 60,000 years. Google Swamp Cody and this pops up. Swamp Cory, sometimes marketed as ancient Cory, 
are prehistoric quarry trees buried under a peat swamp by an unexplained act of nature at the end of the last ice age. The trees have survived the centuries underground, sealed in a chemically balanced environment that has preserved the timber in perfect condition. That strange electronic voice goes on to describe Swamp Cody as having deep, shimmering streaks in its grain patterns. But when the ads started appearing on sites like Alibaba, alarm bells started ringing. A lot of it was for slabs, great big sort of semi-dressed slabs of timber, you know, really long pieces of timber and the end logs as well. So this peak that happened between 2012 and, and 2015, and it seemed like, you know, every man and his digger was out there ripping up the bogs and pulling out these monstrous logs, and most of it was being exported. It went to um, the USA, it went to Italy and Korea, but the bulk of it did go to China because of they, because they did value its age so much. And, and it was a swamp cody bonanza there for a while. And who was involved in this? Well, the, the people like the, the founders of the industry, if you like, the solid people with solid businesses like Dave Stewart and Nelson Parker and who'd started it all, and they kept plugging away. But there was many, many private contractors and so forth, and two of the major players who entered the picture at the stage were Oravida and New Zealand Forests Limited, which was actually Chinese-owned. And they employed a lot of contractors, and they brought a lot of the logs. But there were those smaller operators too. There were the guys who just got in there with a digger and paid farmers or bought land to extract the logs. And um, one, I remember one notorious company actually called itself Swamp Cowboys. Hmm. So the rush was on, and um, and Forrest and Bird at the time reckoned that it was about two hundred million dollars worth of swamp cody had come out, and you know, in one year from the wow. North. And was it still at that stage, still kind of, um, you know, going under the radar? I mean, I don't have too much recollection of talk about the swamp cowrie trade until it sort of got political and then it and then it went to the courts yeah well i think the alarm bells started ringing for the conservation groups by about 2012 because they were seeing a lot of um, wetlands being dug up and destroyed because you know the wood has been preserved in that peaty wetland soil northland's sand dune lakes and peaty wetlands are a rare and special part of our country. That's a Green Party video calling for people to put pressure on the government. Yet wetlands are being plundered and destroyed by swamp cody mining in a frontier-style gold rush for quick and dirty profits. The Northland Environmental Protection Society uses it on its Give a Little page to raise money. So they started putting pressure on the Northern Regional Council to stop this. And in 2013, there was this case on the Environment Court, and I think that's probably when most people started waking up to what was going on, where the council prosecuted a couple of guys, and they had damaged the Komomo wetland. They'd actually bought land there to, to dig up, and they refused to stop digging when they were told to. That was um, Gary Beckham and Raymond Bird, and they were each fined $50,000, but they simply went into um, into liquidation, mm. never paid up. I think that was the first time anyone had actually been hauled up over Swamp Cody. And there was also an alarming incident that sort of alerted people to things at that time too, um, where the NRC inspector who'd, who'd given them these abatement notices, and he was on his way to court to give evidence, and uh, he was pulled over on his way, and he had bleach thrown in his eyes, and he was cut in the face by a couple of 
Wow. Blokes. And no one was ever actually arrested or caught for that. So I think, you know, that's when the industry started to gain this public profile that was not altogether wholesome, which really annoyed people like Nelson Parker and um, Dave, up, uh, Dave Stewart in the far north because, uh, uh, you know, people were starting to say that this was a cowboy industry and so forth. And, and Māori leaders were saying that this was a taonga and it was being plundered and the environmental groups were starting to agitate. Right. And and just going back, because if it was, you know, at its peak, $200 million a year worth of swamp kauri was being traded, but where was that money going? Well, I mean, some of it would have been paid in in wages to the contractors, and quite a few farmers did okay out of it too, of course. Um, Nelson Parker says at least one farmer that he knew um, it was the log lurking in the back paddock that pretty much mm. saved the farm that year. But uh, I guess in the main, the money went to those larger companies through the export industry that they developed. And they were getting up to um, an estimated $10,000 a cubic metre at one point. But things started to get, um, I guess, controversial. Well, the crackdown didn't really come until um, 2015. And about that time, there was a lot of publicity about the export of these giant logs that were being sent to China because, I mean, up to that stage, it was sort of bubbling away a bit under the radar. Uh, But these poles sort of captured the public attention. They were huge, and they were sent to China supposedly as um, temple poles or carvings. And there were also these 40-foot slabs that were being labelled or classed as tabletops. And there was this one log in particular that, um, th- that became quite famous. It was nicknamed the Casper log because it had what looked like a smiley face etched on it and quite a lot of white paint and stuff. And um, it looked a bit like Casper the Friendly Ghost, we thought. Um, anyway, this enormous thing was exported as a carving and this was to comply with the Forests Act. And here's the nub of it. You cannot export native timber unless it's a finished object or a stump or a bit of root. And the Act expressly forbids the export of logs or dressed timber. So at that stage, there was a fair bit of, I guess, public reaction to this log, pictures of this log. And that's when the politicians started taking an interest. We had um, the Northland MPs, Winston Peters and Kelvin Davis, started asking questions in the House. And Dover Samuels, who was on the regional council, actually called for a moratorium on the whole trade. And uh, Winston Peters said the trade, the law wasn't being properly applied. We're talking about a magnificent product which we can't access in this country or which you have to have the lawful excuse to be able to use. Now going off with all the massive added value and the work value and uh, in this product going to some other economy and some other workforce. I've seen the store of these logs up, of these stumps up here, and they are truly stumps. They're only at the maximum about a metre and a half high. We're talking about 40 metre logs going offshore, and that's the evidence. So the heat sort of really went on MPI and the government, and it's MPI that has to interpret and apply the Forest Act. And also the Greens got stuck in at that, that point as well. So up to then... The minister, Nathan Guy, had been sticking up for the swamp coli trade and saying it was good for New Zealand. But when the heat went on, um, he changed his his tune. He said there'd have to be a review um, and it needed closer monitoring. This comes amid accusations the government, customs and the Ministry for Primary Industries are turning a blind eye to illegal exports, a claim they all reject. The Green Party MP Eugenie Sage asked the Primary Industries Minister Nathan Guy about the logs on Alibaba this afternoon in Parliament. Supplementary question, Eugenie Sage. 
If his ministry is managing this issue very, very closely, why is this log for sale online on a global wholesale trade platform when the Forests Act prohibits the export of Kauri logs? Honourable Nathan Guy. Mr Speaker, uh, MPI are investigating that particular issue and the early information that I've had about that photo is in fact that that log is likely to be sitting here in New Zealand. Can you just explain to me what were the laws around swamp kauri? You know, what were the laws around getting it out of the ground and also selling it? Well, there are two agencies involved, and one is the Ministry for Primary Industries, which uh, is responsible for um, administering and interpreting the Forests Act, which regulates the export of native timber. And you cannot export it if it comes from an indigenous bush or wetland, and you cannot export it unless it's a finished object, or uh, in the case of swamp kauri, a stump or a bit of root. And the Act also expressly um, forbids the export of logs or dressed timber, right? Mm. So that left MPI in the um, tearing its hair out trying to decide what a finished object was in a lot of cases, and that was the problem. Uh, if someone was buying a decorated log as a sculpture, did that make it a sculpture? Was it a finished object? If they wanted tabletops, or if they actually really wanted slabs, um, was it okay to export slabs as tabletops? Mm. You know? Yeah. Uh, that was the difficulty. And I mean, uh, it, some of the official information that uh, we extracted from MPI at the time show that the officials were agonising over these matters and saying, is, this is not a stump, and can we really describe this as a, as a, as a carving, you know, mm. and should we get someone's opinion on this? And they actually went out and did get opinions, but the Act clearly wasn't designed no. <laughs> to deal with swamp kauri. No. And so if it was being exported as great big huge slabs, what was happening mm. at the other end? What what would that be well, used well, for? Well, people were simply buying them as, in some cases they were buying them and turning them into enormous board tables, but in many cases they were just buying the slabs and using them as... Um, dressed timber to be turned into something else. Mm. And that's how they were being advertised to on a number of websites. So um, the minister at the time, Nathan Guy, he was sticking up for the swamp kauri trade. Why would he be supporting it? Because it it was a a lucrative export and because there were people who were genuinely involved in it who were sending out, I guess, um, proper finished objects and so forth. And it was, um, I guess, it was a good export market there for a while. But what was the other side of the argument? Well, the other side of the argument from the conservation point of view um, was that most of this timber was coming from land that was um, classed as wetland, in some cases quite important wetland, and that this was being dug up and ruined, you know, mm. Uh, by by this by this industry, uh, for an example, um, Northland in the far north there are a lot of these beautiful little gem-like dune lakes, sandy, peaty country up there, and you get these tiny little lakes that are just like little gems. Lake Ngatu is one of these. It's north of Kaitaia, and they depend on water filtered by the wetlands, adjoining wetlands. Now. In the case of Lake Ngatu, there was a wetland nearby and it was on private land and that had been drained by the owner and dug over 
for Swamp Cody. Mm. And the conservationists complained that the regional council, which is supposed to monitor this, had let it happen. And the regional council is the other agency involved in the regulation of the trade because they have jurisdiction over how land is used and whether wetlands can be dug up and so forth. So the conservation group said that the the landowner had purposely ring-drained the land so that it would no longer be a wetland. Um, And when the NRC came to inspect it, of course, there would be no native species left on it. And it certainly wasn't a significant one any longer. And the problem was that they claimed it was draining this dirty, peaty water into Lake Ngatu, and this was affecting the the lake level and and the water quality. And they said this this was typical of what had been happening since the swamp cody trade took off. So that was their their position on this. Mm. But, you know, the trade was coming at the expense of irreplaceable wetland. But uh, after Nathan Guy announced that there would have to be a a review of the whole thing, he came up to to Northland and talked to the regional council and MPI was involved. They put an extra inspector in there and they reviewed the rules and how they would how they would operate the um, oversight of, of the whole thing. Those people who recover and sell ancient swamp Cody will come under greater scrutiny. Tighter measures being introduced around the controversial exporting of the valuable prehistoric timber. So after about a year of this, the conservation groups had a look at it and said, well, nothing actually had really changed, that wetlands were still being destroyed and swamp Cody was still going out of the country undetected in a, in a semi-raw form. So in 2016, and this was a tiny little group, the Northland Environmental Protection Society announced it was taking the government to court. And they went to the High Court and they asked for a judicial review of the way MPI was interpreting and applying the Forests Act, and they lost. A Northland conservation group has failed in a court challenge over the regulation of swamp cody exports. The High Court has rejected arguments by the Northland Environmental Protection Society that the Ministry for Primary Industries was allowing the highly priced timber to be exported unlawfully. So then they went to the Appeal Court and they lost. But just to bring us up to date, just last year, this went all the way to the Supreme Court, this little conservation group, and they won. The Supreme Court has ruled that rare swamp Cody wood cannot be exported unless it has been made into a product. The export of the wood has been at the centre of a lengthy battle between environmental groups and the ministry that has oversight. And the judges effectively said that MPI had not been applying the Act correctly mm. for all those years, uh, which means, as, you know, as the conservation groups see it, that much of the trade that had gone on in those boom years was in the light of this decision and, in retrospect, unlawful. The court said, for instance, that dressed timber slabs that were exported as tabletops were not finished objects and that for a log to be exported as a finished object, it would have to have lost its identity as a log. Right. It's quite a memorable Yeah, Um, those were its words. Yeah, so it would effectively have had to have lost its identity as a log. It's the end of a nine-year battle for the Northland Environmental Protection Society to protect an ancient and unique timber. But it's not the end of the battle. Has this changed anything about what's going on in terms of the trade? Yeah, the jury is, I think, still out on that one because we had a case recently where a Chinese buyer commissioned a sculpture from Nelson Parker over in in Kaihu and he picked out the log he wanted and he said exactly what he wanted carved on it. And he's going to use it for uh, use in exhibitions and so forth. 
as an example of New Zealand swamp curry. Mm. So um, Mr Parker had this work done and MPI scrutinised it every step of the way, of course, given the um, recent court decision. And they talked to the Chinese buyer and they decided in the end that it did qualify as a finished work of art, um, a sculpture. So therefore, a legal export. But the, um, the conservation group is protesting this and saying it was clearly still a log. It's a log, um, basically with some minor carving on it. They have put resin in one of the deep crevices filled with power shell and um, curry leaves have been put laid on top as well in the resin. But basically it's exactly the same as what was being exported in the Supreme Court said couldn't be exported. It's just a log with a few scratchings on it basically. And it hadn't lost its identity. So at this point, they're looking at heading back to the High Court again and asking for a judicial review of this particular case. They still believe that MPI is not interpreting the law as the Supreme Court said it should be interpreted. Lois Williams says both the Northland Regional Council and MPI seem to be more vigilant these days in monitoring what's going on with the trade. But it may be too late. There's not so much activity these days to monitor. In, mm. in terms of swamp cody exports, if you look at the MPI data, they've really plummeted just in the last few years. If, and, you know, if you go back to, say, um, 2015, they're exporting more than 500 cubic metres in just three months. But if you look at the figures for last year, just the whole year, there were only there was less than 300 cubes exported for the entire year. And why so, is that, Lois? Is that because of these tighter laws? It, I think it is partly because of that. There has been a big drop. But I think it's also because um, the the cowboys, if you like, who got into it, or some of them in those, uh, those peak years, found it wasn't quite such an easy trade as, as they hoped it would be. They were really into the you know commodity trade. Mm. Um, and swamp cody is not an easy timber. It's not an easy timber to work. It has to be dried properly. It has to be processed carefully. Um, and the old the old timers, the ones like Nelson Parker, who've built up solid businesses processing and, and selling to tourists and exporting, they're still going strong. And these days, they're not getting their logs from, from wetlands as such. They're getting them from farms, land that's long been developed. Mm. And they're a lot more cautious too. They, they get um, MPI and the regional council to come and check that it's okay in many cases. Right. So uh, yeah, it's it's a long we're a long way from those those boom years, those three or four years where it was an absolute um, bonanza. And that's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. We're brought to you by Newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ on Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Veal and produced by Alexia Russell. Kathakim Masalamani is our associate producer. Kakite Ano.